0: Good morning, beloved. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to see everyone here. Wednesday morning, what are we, episode 057 or is it 058? We're getting up there. We'll be at 100 before we know it. Spring is in the air. It's supposed to be over 70 degrees here today and this weekend where I'm going to be, 91. Now that's going to be very uncomfortable and difficult for a Northwestern man who starts to really whinge and complain when the weather gets over about 80 or so. We like it to be about between 60 and 66 uh, with overcast, uh, high humidity, and just cold enough where uh, a man's got to wear a sweater. All right, so a couple things in the chats. I saw that there was uh, some some controversy in the chat uh, from one of our members not enjoying the sound drops. Uh, That was Overton. Who was that? That was... uh, it's gone i forget does it matter uh noted noted i want also i want to explain that i'm running the show here uh by myself except for the help of the middlemen which are feeding comments to me so there's going to be a bit of a learning curve we'll get it sorted out you know one thing that <clears throat> that overton did the other a the couple days ago that was so clever was that I have a little window open here where he is uh, able to kind of feed me some information in chats and he started posting some pictures I I don't know what what I was thinking but I went on and on describing how inappropriate that battle of acts was the Kraken assuming that you guys were looking at what I was looking at not realizing that you were not so. He brought up something very interesting that there might be a way for us to put those images or maybe even bring him in and put those images up on the screen in front of us. And that would be super fun. So just bear with me. Uh, I know the production's been trashed and I've had all sorts of problems. There's a it, This is a steep learning curve to do this reliably, especially when you're trying to run everything by yourself. But we'll get there. I would imagine after 100, we'll have it... S- have it smoothed out. What I would, just for you guys, what I, where I would like to go in the future a little bit is, of course, we would just, you know, do like we do here and hang out and just talk about what we want to talk about. But things that are important, you know, topical things, I would like to be able to bring them in. And if I could bring them in and share short videos or screen grabs, uh, that would be really nice. I, and so we'll work on that. So I have some time this weekend. I'll check my software and see what it's going to take to do that. But that, that would be kind of fun. So I just I understand if it's annoying, it probably is. I have no idea what's going on in your end. I'm kind of in the dark here, flying blind. Uh, we'll get it sorted out. So give me input. Um, no, nobody's going to get their feelings hurt here. I, I've got no problem with that at all. We want to have a, have a, a, an avenue, a venue that's going to be as good as possible. <clears throat> Goodness. So to start out with some news, I saw this morning that Stephen Crowder is getting a divorce. Isn't he the bastion of conservatism? Uh, And yet a man like that with that status and everything going for him, famous, famous celebrity, um, even he having problems with Western women. So, you know, it's I I was having a very nice conversation this morning with Hammerhand. It was the first time I got to speak with him. We set up a call for 10 o'clock and he wanted to talk to me about the possibility of coming on to his YouTube channel and doing an interview. Now, I've watched. I've watched him, I've watched um, Undead Chronic and Hammerhand for probably close to two, two years now. Very controversial channels uh, amongst some people because they're telling straight truth there, unvarnished, and they're putting it all out there regardless of the consequences. Now, I love what they're doing and, and, and I support a lot of what they, what, what, they, what they stand for, but whether or not I make a decision to go onto their show, well, That was between me and him, but I had some concerns that we discussed. So I'll think about that. I know a lot of you were going to were asking if I was going to do that uh, before I make a decision. I'm also going to talk to Undead Chronic uh, next week. So I just sent him an email um, and we'll see. I'm not going to get into the details, uh, but once I make my decision, I will I will make it known. All right. So, man, we have a big week this weekend, so Mrs. W and Jack, my son Jack, who was 18, left this morning early at about 8 o'clock um, and they're going to be gone for four days, heading down south. So that means the sweet loaf and I and my man Jariah uh, are in charge. I am Mister mom uh, for Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. So keep me in your prayers. That means I have to cook my own food. I have to look after myself you just don't know the burden to proho when his tradcon is not there uh, to look after him you know you you just get so dependent upon these things that uh well i hope we'll muddle through but of course you know we like to talk about our kids is there anything worse than someone bragging about their children but a lot of you have grown up or, or watched jack grow up and so i'll just give you the brief story he's very private doesn't like to be online too much so i want to respect his privacy but i can say that he is competing Um, and the outcome of this he's done very well in in speech and debate and he's competing at a very high level now and if he does well and we expect that he will over this next four-day tournament um, it's likely uh, almost a guarantee that he will go to nationals debating with the best debaters in the country which was we're super proud of him now where that came from well you can thank mrs. W mrs. W is more precious than rubies. She has put a priority on her children's education and and, and took it upon herself. We both have we took it upon ourselves, but primarily her uh, to educate her children uh, with the best education possible. And and what this young man is able to do and what's coming out of his mouth, uh, it's absolutely extraordinary. I'm still getting my head around it. My little boy, who we used to just hang out and you know we always had the father son relationship. This morning, as he's sitting across the couch at 18, getting ready to go to debate, uh, is able to talk to me um, like a man, <laughs> you know, with a very uh, incredible, with a great vocabulary, uh, with a very good understanding of uh, world politics and U.S. politics and, and all of the things that a, a young man has to know to, to compete in debate. Uh, and I just couldn't be more proud of him. I wish I could be there. Uh, For the whole time, but I will be getting up at like 4 in the morning going over there So the important rounds where he'll be competing will be on the weekend And uh, I'll be able to, to be there and watch that so Couldn't be more excited and proud of Jack. Well, he got that from his mother He did not get that from me from someone who can't spell never went to college. I am not a smart man, but I'm a digger. I can fix things pick up heavy rocks. You know how it is All right, beloved. Let us jump into the. Oh goodness. We almost forgot the deadliest part of the day. Of course, now it's personal. It's happening. It's happening right now in real time. Okay. Where were we? Do we have fuel? We fueled yesterday, right? Yeah, let's just go with what we have here. Let's not. uh, I had the mother of all spills yesterday. It was a practically a super fun site right here in front of my live stream. That seems a bit. Come on now. Let's... Oh, I need to let the air out? What's going on? Yeah, we got to start over. That doesn't feel good. Unscrew it. it seems... That thing needs some oil. Something is definitely wrong. You see, this thing is getting my goat in a new way today. That's closed. That's open. Not like I haven't done this before. Let me get some oil. Put a little goat juice on it. Little synthetic gun oil. I love the AMSOIL firearms lubricant. It's a synthetic. I like this, the, little, the little applicator. AMSOIL's so good. Little blue, little blue silicone deal there, so you don't lose your, your nozzle. But this oil is, I'm assuming, I'm assuming this is a good oil for anything that's gonna have a lot of heat in it. So anything that gets hot, like the little uh, piston rods diffuser rods on the sterling engines that does not feel right okay let's let's just go for it why is that so tight all right well i'm over it once again we have a fail i know which side by the bread's buttered on i'm not going to fool with that all right let us jump into it beloved wednesday oh also today is fast day shout out to those of you who are participating in the fast we're all in this together just hang tight and uh, know that god is listening so get close to your father spend time in prayer and we have one more week to go so we can all do this together all right let's jump into it here mr overton all right we have A member's message from ZTJ61611. Shout out to you. I will refrain from all of the sound drops. Are they working today? Let's see. Might be nice. they are working today. I will refrain. Overton said, perhaps, so we don't ruffle feathers, we'll sound drop on $20 donos and up. So that way you don't have to hear it so many times. I like it. I think it's funny. I guess because I don't have to hear it. I don't have my headphones on. But ZT one six one one says member for twenty four months. Shout out to you. He says in the King James version was enough for our dirt poor. We're starting out strong here. We're in the struggle stream. He's saying if the King James version of the Bible was good enough for our dirt poor, uneducated <laughs> ancestors, it's good enough for me. Yeah, I agree. You know that it, it, it came to me. I this I, I this notion where. Everything's got to be spoon fed. And if it's too difficult for you, well, let's find a simpler way. It is just a symptom of the society that we live in. We live in this capitalist society. Everyone's got to make something or have a grift or have something new and and innovative that causes you to buy so that you will keep spending. You know, what? I'm starting to agree with that. It's time to man up. You know, if you're old enough to to be a man and have a family, you're old enough. To understand the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, It's not that hard. I mean, you can read between the lines. Little kids did it. Little kids grew up doing this, memorizing it from the time that they were two and three years old. So Proho should not have a problem with the King James Version. But let's not be dogmatic about it. I don't want to be one of those people that say, and I meet them all the time, it's the King James Version or nothing. Everything else is heresy. I don't believe that to be true. I, years ago, I looked into this question, I looked into it very, very thoroughly, comparing scriptures, comparing different books. And what I came away with is of the general translations that we have access to, the conservative ones, you're on safe ground. You'll be able to get the gospel, you'll be able to understand it. You're not going to be in, in great error, in, in, in my opinion. Some of them that I don't like, you know, a little bit loosely, you know, when you get into um, versions like the message, uh, the NIV has some really serious doctrinal issues. But for the most part, King James, New King James, New American Standard, those conservative translations, they're pretty darn good. They're pretty darn good and uh, good enough for pro ho. So but let's let us not be let, let us not be dogmatic about just it's either my way or the highway. It's just this or that, because it, that's not there's no love in that. It's not true. And just because you've come to that realization doesn't necessarily mean that everyone else has. And, you know, that's something that I struggle with as well. When you know, you when you're black and white, I, I keep talking about being black and white. You see the world, you have a worldview. And then you get up into your 50s, which makes it worse because now you're, not near as, you're nowhere near as open to new ideas as you are uh, when you're younger. If you want a, a fascinating example of this, and I think a, a book that I read a few years ago, uh, Jack and I read this together, that I f- it was so thought-provoking and so profound, and I'm adding this to the official Proho reading list. It's going to be the book Ender's Game. Now, I'm gonna say this one time. If you have watched the movie of a book that I recommend and you think you have the gist of what's going on, whether it be Ender's Game or Ready Player One or Dune or any of the great works of fiction, right? It is not, that is not a substitute. There's nothing wrong with it. If you wanna watch them and you enjoy it, fine. Um, But we're talking about the the novels uh, and important ideas that come out of these. The, the principle, spoiler alert here, but ma- a little bit, but the, basically the, the, the idea, the story of this book is that it, it, it's, it's set in the future. And uh, the earth or the planet, humanity is under attack, an imminent threat um, from an advanced species that it's either the us or them. And um, I, I, if memory serves, it's been a while. I think uh, humanity is kind of on the tail, or on the back foot, and, and they have like one last chance before the entire species is, is wiped out. And what they find in in the, the the military tacticians in this book is what is the story that they make is is that they are no longer able to go to use the resources that they have in the past, meaning the officer corps, or uh the military as a whole to come up with clever innovative ways to defeat the enemy they've exhausted everything that they've known how to do nothing is working and they have the insight they realize that the only way that they can defeat this enemy is through a truly creative and original idea or, or war strategy and the only way to get in this book uh to acquire this unique creative strategy is through young people, young people that haven't been conditioned, they don't have preconceived notions of, of combat or military. And so they have, it, the, the story is about this character Ender, who is a child prodigy, who is recruited to this battle school where the military is raising up these kids in hope that they'll become the next General Patton or Napoleon or Alexander the Great, uh, the hope of humanity. And I found that so interesting, so fascinating that, and I think there's a lot of truth to that is that as we get older, the conditioning that we've been subject to through propaganda, media, life experience, you just get hard, just like an old piece of leather that's not treated. It gets uh, drier and harder and and pretty, pretty soon it it comes to the point where it's no longer useful or anything and it cracks and, and it has to be replaced with something new. And that's not unlike the story from the good book that our savior co- tells us about you can't put new wine into old wineskins. skins you know what does that mean we don't use wine skins today we use bottles well what he's talking about is that when you fermented grapes you know this was this is the way alcohol was made back in those times if when you fermented grapes if you've ever been involved in fermentation in the process, while it's fermenting, it expands because of the gases and the yeast and all that thing. It expands. Well, the reason why they put new wine that was expanding and, and just developing into new wineskins is because the wineskins were fresh leather and they, and they were pliable and they would expand with, with, with the wine and they wouldn't be lost. They, they worked together. And the warning was, the warning that he made was if you try to take an old wineskin that's already expanded and already been used, and you try to put new wine in there, hoping that you won't have to make new wineskins or buy them or be out the expense, well, everything's going to be lost. Because as, as it ferments, it's going to split it because it's no longer able to be flexible. It's no longer able to be resilient. And that is a warning to us. It a, was a warning. It was a dual warning. It was a, it was a warning to the established church at the time. And it's a warning to us specifically. We have to understand this as older senior members of ProHo that that is going to be in our nature to become those hard, brittle, old wineskins. And that's when you get why we have the, you know, the meme of the old angry guy or the old bitter neighbor, you know, get off my yard type of thing. That's the guy that is no longer able to change with the times. He's frustrated. He's angry because things have changed around him. That the world is not the same way that it is again and it makes it difficult for him because all he can see is through those glasses he cannot he can't adapt adopt the change he also can't be sympathetic to those younger than him that are trying to operate in this environment where change is happening he expects them to do and to say the same things that work for him not knowing that these things don't work anymore and we're seeing that uh, very much um today Yeah. I forgot what the point. What was the point of all of this? What was I talking about? I guess for the old things. Yeah. No. Anyway, I'm ranting. Mr. James Green, shout out to you, our newest member. Welcome. Welcome. And McFadden, member for three months. Welcome. And we have a Robert Kavanaugh. He's been with us for two months. He has a comment. Robert says, hey, Cody, how do you feel about the silky big boy folding saw? How do they hold up over time? Thanks in advance and God bless you and your family. Well, I'll tell you. I can tell you because I use it all the time and I have it right here, leaving the stream. The Silky Big Boy is an excellent saw. This is something, yeah, this is probably something that you'd wanna consider getting. This is a good item to to have because it's a lot of these things that we're we recommend and that we need, are we ever going to use them? Night vision, body armor, that sort of thing. But this is one of the things that in any situation you're going to use it. This is a good preparedness item to have in your truck. Not a lot of dudes can pack a chainsaw around. And if you live in the forest, especially out here, as I'm fond of saying, the wind always knocking trees down. This is a formidable saw. It's, It's a folding design. Silkies, if you don't know, make some of the finest, if not the finest saws in the world. Silky saws are a little bit different than American saws in that they cut on the pole. Japanese saws always cut on the pole, where American saws cut on the push. That's why the design is so different. When you cut on the pole, you can have a very small, thin spine because you're not pushing it and, and, and bending it in the curve. So it doesn't have to be really structurally strong or really rigid. So I I think that the Japanese have it. I think the pole design is better. But this is one of the many saws that they have. But this is the Silky Big Boy. Now, when you're looking at silkies, they're going to have two or three different teeth patterns. So just be careful of that. You'll see a fine tooth and a coarse tooth. If you're just wanting to rip and shred, if you you want this for like a more of a survival or emergency saw, and you're not going to be using it professionally as gardening or pruning, you know, get the coarse teeth. The coarse teeth are really where it's at. They cut tremendously. And these stay sharp so long, it's, just, it's, it's, they're, it's like they're magic. magic. But the big boy is the good saw because you can get two hands on it. I, I take this on my dirt bike, and, I'll, and I'm actually pushing up to the north. It's supposed to be sunny, it's like 70, 80 this weekend. That's going to drive the snow level way, way up, and that's going to open up all of our, our old stomping grounds, and we're going to be the first bikes up there. Um, to cut out all the trails, and we'll be using this. I'll be taking you guys up there for sure. We'll do it. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. I'm super excited. I've got a chainsaw mount uh, for the front of the bikes as well. Um, when I put that on, I'll, I'll share that with you members as, as well. You'll, you'll like that. It's kind of cool. But really, for everything under, I'd say maybe six inches, eight inches, I'm going to use the Silky Big Boy. So I would highly recommend it. Mine has a lot of use on it. I've never replaced the blade. never broke it it's just been perfect the silky is also nice where it has a dual position so if you need to get up and do an undercut you know right there little features Um, but i I can't say enough about it small enough to fit in a pack probably about 16 inches 14 inches long Uh, excellent excellent saw highly highly recommend the silky big boy with the coarse teeth thank you robert Yep. Good question. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy one. They're a little spendy, uh, but you'll use it a lot. Boy, goodness is hot. We're going to not have fires for very much longer. Mrs. W told me I got to get the tent up there or she told me to order the tent because we're going to be moving the live stream. Lord willing, down to the creek front as soon as the weather weather settles in a little bit. We have a super chat from Mr. Mark K. Shout out to you, Mark. Thank you, brother. And Alex Mateki, new member. He says, have you looked into the Janus Griffin 250 pricey? Man, i don't even know what that is mr overton if you would be so kind can you pull up for me a picture of what the Janus griffin griffin 250 is um i'd like to see i can comment on it of course there's a lot of opinions around here we have a super chat from mr alex oh sorry mr mark k welcome mark thank you for your generosity he says hey cody for somebody from the midwest east or anywhere else for that matter what would the best western state be to move to oh well let's start by talking about the ones that would not be good to move to in, in, in ascending descending descending order California obviously for obvious reasons uh, California is uh, well it would be better off for a lot of people if the San Andreas fault would wiggle a little bit and just dump off the whole western seaboard uh, into the ocean uh, we could get a, a fresh start on that from the good people in the, in the Southwest, but that's mo- unlikely to happen. So I would rule out California. Um, number two, the one I would rule out the most would be uh, Washington State, which surprises me. I thought Oregon would turn into a, 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 a worse sewer quicker than Washington, but it does not seem to be the case. Now it is uh, illegal for us to purchase semi-automatic in, in any way. So whether or not that stands, I do not know. Whether or not I care what edicts or rulings or what they put upon us, as well as many other people in the state, well, I'll let you decide on that. Number three uh, of the worst Western state to move to uh, would probably be Oregon. Oregon most likely will follow suit, and it's a dumpster fire as well. Now, I have to preface this. We're talking about the urban areas. So California, there are some pretty nice spots up in NoCal. It's some of the prettiest country in the world, but you're still subject to ridiculous taxes, ridiculous. I mean, when they, when a state outliers, outlaws Honda generators, you know, there, there's just no rede- re- redeeming that. There's, there's, we can't go any further than that. And then when they also outlaw motorcycles, dirt bikes, off-road vehicles, side-by-sides, SUV, you know, no, that's not happening. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere near that Cesspool. I don't care rural or not. When it comes to Oregon and Washington, if you're east of the Cascades, you're going to be in good shape. You're going to be with good, like-minded people. Fellow Proho are going to be there. But if you're talking about the, the, the big cities, Eugene, Salem, Portland, Seattle, Olympia, um, write it off. You don't want it to be anywhere anywhere near there. It's getting dangerous in Portland. Uh, the carjackings, the violence, it, it's just running rampant it's 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 off the it's it's off the chain uh and there's no oversight the police the cops the pigs are are they say their hands are tied but they still take the paycheck and not doing their job you know so i i don't i'm not here to uh to give any kudos to law enforcement in this day and age you know they wring their hands oh we can't do anything we can't do this you can quit and go get a different job but you still take the paycheck and watch uh, and do what you're told, like a good lap dog, and 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 just let people's business be abused, let people be abused. Um, no, I don't respect that. Go go do something else. If you don't like it, show your protest. Show it, show it like a man with some balls, and quit. Don't work under that tyranny. Don't take a paycheck from the type of people that are doing this to these cities. You're complicit. Oh. I don't know, man. I, I, that motorcycle looks pretty cool to me, uh, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't want one. What good is it? You know, really, I'm not about the road bikes, to be honest with you. And that's also a direct. I, I used to have road bikes. You know, I, I I I've had my first road bike when I was 17, 16, 16. I've had them all through my life. I, I get it. Uh, it just. I, I'm not interested in it. It's. Um, they're just too one-sided and it's mainly because of where I live. If I lived in the suburbs and I didn't have a tree or single track or logging roads around me, my opinion would be completely different. You know, that's, I'm just talking about my specific area. Um, I I think that the dirt bike, the enduro dirt bike is the best. It's the pure, the purest form, the most versatile motorcycle in the world. Because I love the fact that I can be on asphalt and I can roll at 70, 75. No problem. I do it with knobbies, you know, as long as you're careful, it's not a problem. Balance your tires. I balance my tires so they, they roll smooth. I gear everything up. I run a 14, 40, 48, and that gets me up to, I can get up to 80 on that. And if I want to at any time, I can dip into a trail or a logging road or a single track. It's just, it's so versatile. Um, I just, people make fun of me all the time. What are you riding that thing around on the road? Is there anything more inappropriate than that two stroke? I don't care, man. I like it. I know how to run it. It's it's just perfect. It's not the best road bike, uh, but it's just for all around. It's amazing. No, I don't know, man. I'm not. I mean, it's cool. You know, the old retro stuff, you know, I I get it. I've got a 68 BSA. I know. I know. Uh, But uh, as far as practicality, I mean, look at that thing. It's got the front suspension is from what from 1920. Um, It doesn't. Is it a hardtail? It doesn't even have any rear suspension. Have you ever ridden a hardtail? No. No bueno. No rear shocks that I can see. Um, the pipes are gonna you get the first obstacle, those are gonna get drug off and, and torn out. Um, single cylinder, it's gonna be vibrate like a like crazy. Uh, no pass oh no. It's no. No, that's that's not for that's not for us. Um, we have a super, we have a new member, Profit3. Bear, shout out to you. Welcome, welcome. And goodness, Barry Walker, we have a $500 super chat. I, we got, we have to do this here. might be nice. We're sound dropping. might be nice, there He says, thank you, Star, for all you do. Well, I sure do appreciate that. Man, we really appreciate the support. I'll tell you, Mrs. W and I are getting some traction just to kind of speak to you know, folks who are asking, been, have asked what's going on with the community center and such. Uh, we have pretty well finalized the design. Um, and the construction, Lord willing, uh, is going to start pretty soon. The weather has just changed. If I get one more day of sunshine, the the field will be dry enough where we'll go down there and start putting in the utilities. So after Jack's uh, debate competition this weekend, I I would imagine next week we're going to be out there with the excavator uh, putting in the utilities and start breaking ground and, and get going on this. So very, very exciting. We've got a lot of things to do. There's a lot to take that needs to happen, but it is possible within 12 months. We, I mean, really, within 12 months, or just a year from next summer, um, that we could be open and ready for business, starting to hosting uh, classes and opportunities to get together and do things. So it's it's hard to believe. It's going to be a stretch. There's a lot going into it, but Lord willing, um, this is where we're at. So Mrs. W is pulling all the permits now, and we got in just under the wire, and I think I think we're looking good, looking good. We went. We, we, all, we sat down and had a meeting, and kind of went over everything. And funny thing, when you're, make, when you're building houses, you know you've got to work to a budget, um, and we don't want to go out in, into debt on this and borrow a bunch of money. So we're trying to cut corners. So it's, it's a difficult thing to do. Where yeah, it would be nice to have this, but if we do things a little bit different or just go not quite so fancy here, you know we can save three 000, four thousand here, and that will pay for the gravel or pay for one of the garage doors. So it, it's kind of a it's an interesting process. But um, we'll get there, we're getting there. We're, we're moving forward. It's, you know, it's the type of thing that in America where there's so many, or maybe out West, out West where there's so many building regulations. I mean, we've literally had to tend to deal with federal agencies for environmental studies, multiple environmental studies because of how close we are to a fish bearing stream. Uh, oh, I mean, I, I, I can't even begin I can't even begin the aggravation. Years we've been working on this. Paying, writing checks, tens of thousands of dollars, and yet nothing to show for it. Just feeding a local government um, so they can have jobs, so people can have jobs. I guess, I don't know. But we're getting there. Just have to keep going, keep going. Thank you, Barry. Goodness, that is so generous of you. Thank you very much. Goodness, I just uh, very humbling to see that. Shout out to Barry Walker. Mr. Chris B, who's been with us for five months. Shout out to you, Chris. Chris writes, why not mount the silky on the fork? You know, I tried that. I tried that, mounting the silky on the fork. It bothered. It just bothered me. I don't know if it was the asymmetry of it. Um, I, I, I don't know. I did. I, I, I put it on the on the fork. I wrapped a couple of things around it. It works. It was okay. Um, but I'm really fussy about that sort of thing. Like the suspension and and bike setup, and having everything equal and weight distribution, you know, even I I probably take it too far, but I don't know. I just, it didn't, it it wasn't working for me. I also like to see this stuff. You know, the forest taketh the forest doesn't give it, but the forest taketh uh, away a great many things. If it's not really locked down, uh, you will certainly not have it. I have lost much, much equipment uh, to the forest up north from a combination of snow biking to dirt biking to, I mean, just last year, it was one of the worst things that ever happened to me. Now, when you build, when you build a motorcycle toolkit, it takes a long time, right? Because how you do it it is that if you really want to know your machine and know your tool and know how to fix every aspect of it, that you may be relying upon it on a, you're going on a trip, or you're taking it up to Fuji in the backcountry, country, and, and you depend on it to get home. You, it could be life or death type of thing. You're pretty serious about maintenance and, and tools, and you want to know how things work. So putting together a toolkit slash repair kit slash parts kit and having it to be as uh, small and compact as possible is not something that happens overnight. It happens over many, many years. And... The only way you can really determine what you really do need is by going out, breaking things, and then realizing, oh, I wish very, very much that I had this particular thing, or I wish very much I would have had this extra bolt or, or whatever, piece of wire or tape. You know That experience comes at, at, at a very, very high price, and you cannot buy it. You can, only, you can only get it by doing it. So what you do when you get your motorcycle, when you get your dual sport, is you go and 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 look look online what bolts are on here. So do I need what you're saying is do I need to carry a whole socket set? No. If you don't have a 12 millimeter or 14 or 15 millimeter on your bike, then why are you carrying that? That's steel and ounces. These ounces turn into pounds, man, like crazy. So only carry what you need, and if you can whatever you can cut corners. So I had developed this bag. And not only that, once you put the kit together, you do all your service. You do your oil change. You change your spark plug. You do all your service on it with that toolkit. Even if you have the best snap-on set in the world, you leave that alone and you work out of your toolkit. This way, you find out immediately what you have and don't have. Oh, I don't have a three millimeter Allen. I need that to adjust the clutch lever, whatever. Right? You get it? So you train yourself to do it. Now you don't always have to work out of that, but once you, you know, if I have an idea, I have everything I need, then I can go to my other tools. But, so I had developed this and it was, and I trans, I transfer it because I ride, ride K- KTMs, whether that be Husky KTM, same thing, for summer and winter, whether it's snow bike or moto. So the, a lot of the parts translate, even though one's two stroke and one's four stroke, but I know what what is unique to the machine. And so I have, specific bags, and I put those together. I'm very vigilant with these. I'm very diligent about it. So I was very happy with my kit last year. It was perfect. I had many breakdowns. I was always able to come home, always able to patch something up, always just had what I needed. Very, very happy with that. My last ride last year, I was coming back, and I forgot to close up my tunnel bag on the back of my snow bike. What do you think fell out? And somewhere in the snow, somewhere up on the mountain, up on Fuji, my toolkit that, that took me 20 years to make. And of course I didn't have the foresight to take a picture of it or do an inventory. So I'm remembering, and you never remember those things. So don't let that happen to you. Mr. Member we have Mr. Madrix 303 shout out to who he's got a member message. He's been with us for over a year now. He's got a silky gomboy folding with a thick plastic sheath in my get-home bag in my car at all times. Yeah, yeah, a gomboy is a good one as well. There's a lot of different options. Go, go in there and find something that works for you. Um, but the kind of, if you don't have one, probably the place to start would be something similar to this. The gomboy or this one is very nice. Now, if you want performance, if you don't want a folding, if you want something that's got a good sheath, then the Ichiban itchy bond is half the price of a silky and i actually prefer it over these not quite as big not folding but man is it an awesome saw i will always grab that if i'm going to do tree work i'll always grab that first i prefer it but the sheath the way it's made it makes it difficult to pack into a pack and the shape of it so that's kind of a for home or truck use but i agree that's a good saw the Gonboy is an excellent saw Mr. Ryan Barnes, shout out to you, member for two months. Ryan writes, for a compact saw, I like the chainsaw blade with the nylon handles. Not as nice as a saw, but it fits in the pocket. I love and hate those things. I, I, what he's talking about is there, um, and you can make your own if you want to. It's, it's quite simple. Just make sure you buy the small chain. Just go to your farm and ranch store or Home Depot and that little tiny chain on the homeowner saws, the non-proho saws, that makes, you can make your own, Uh, but it's just a short piece of chainsaw chain, and it's got uh, nylon handles on it, and you pull it back and forth, and indeed, they they do work, they do work, actually, that's what Jack carries in his moto bag, he doesn't carry one of these, he carries a pocket chainsaw, Uh, it's very appealing because it's so small, I mean, it literally folds up into a kit like this, it's super, should I go grab it? Let me, let me go grab it. Nothing but the best production here. I have all this planned out. I just was going through his pack and I saw it. So I'll share that with you. Well, let's talk about that. Oh, that's not his pack, goodness. I'm, str- I'm struggling here. It's astonishing how I just had it and now it's gone. Ah, there it is. Well, there's his pack. I'm assuming it's in there. I used to get frustrated with Jack. He didn't uh, put all of his stuff away and spend the hours and hours on uh, on organization and thinking about all this stuff. And he wouldn't, well, you know, it's just not his thing and he wouldn't do it. So rather than getting, getting upset about it, I just do it for him. I know he's not going to do it. It's not in there. Anyway, we know what it is. Uh, I have used them quite a bit and they're not great. They're not great. They they bind up terribly. Um, now, if you get the perfect wood, that's what happens to a lot of dudes is they'll, is they'll see one online, they'll see the pocket chainsaw. I've done videos on them. And they'll buy one and they like, oh, I'm gonna try my pocket chainsaw. And then you go out to your yard and you pick a, a nice spring green tree with the sap up, beautiful green wood, and you lay that in there and you're like, man, this thing cuts like a demon. And then you get out into the bushes. And then you get into a hard old snag that fell across the road that's been dead for 18 months and it binds. And you have I mean you have to have the strength of Hercules just to run one of these things for any extended period of time. So yes, they do work. But they don't work very well, to be honest with you. They cannot be compared or even they, they can't even be mentioned in the same breath as a silky saw uh, for, for just pure function. But better than nothing. Absolutely better than nothing. We have a super chat for Mr. Brian Dupree. Shout out to you, Brian. Brian writes, loved your why young men aren't working videos. Last Supper useful. Last Supper useful tool I bought was the 3D laser level. What an affordable, practical... Okay, we need to slow down here. You see, my, my mouth runs faster than my brain can think. Let's start over here. Brian Dupree has a couple different points here. Number one, Brian likes why young men aren't working videos. Why, why they're not working. Yes, thank you. Last Supper, useful tool I bought. Super. Last super, last super useful tool I bought was a 3D laser level. Yeah, those are very handy as well. I have one of those. Uh, What affordable practical tool do you recommend? Like, just what comes to mind? Affordable practical tool that I really, really like of late. You know, it's that T-handle. It's that Motion Pro T-handle. I did get a new tool here. Let me show you this. this It's pretty nice. Now, this is pretty niche. But man, what a tool. I never had the capability of doing it. I almost messed up. So I was going along, we were riding a couple, this was last week, the war band and I. Shout out to undead chronic. And I was, I, kept, I was feeling something uh, hitting my boot as I was riding and I kept stopping and like something's wrong. And I just put a new clutch in. I'm like, I bet I put that clutch in wrong. Just something felt wrong. I couldn't figure out what it was. Well, i found out my chain was so was so wore out wore out uh that it was just flopping all over the place and and so i had to get a new chain so i got I, what i realized is that you have to have a special tool to break a chain i just got this one this is nice i'm not recommending this unless you're a motorcycle guy but look at that that's a motion pro chain breaker that is, you can't appreciate the machining and the quality of this until you see it. So what, what it does is you've got to drive the links out, but look, I love good machining. I, I wish I was, I wish I had the, to get the talent to make this sort of thing, milling and all that. I just, I, I don't have the patience for it, but this little mandrel, so cool. This little mandrel is dual, has three purposes for all different types of functions, whether you're riveting, look at that. And then it's magnetic and it fits in there. And then the R for rivet and the B for break. Goodness, that's a nice tool. Very, very nice tool. But what would I recommend? What have I been enjoying of late? Trying to think if there's anything that really stands out. I will share something with you. Yeah, since we're doing show and tell today. There's a guy. Uh, his name is Lance, who, who started a small company that is one of those gifted men and one of the nicest, coolest guys I've ever spoke with. I called him with some technical questions about one of his parts. Um, I, I just had one question. I was going to order it, and I didn't know who he was, but his name is Lance, and his business is uh, XC Gear right there. He's got his name on that. He, he made this for me. This is what I'm going to share with you. <clears throat> and I called him, and, and I was asking him some questions just before I ordered his products. So what happens is, uh, um, from the vibe, the, the 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 two a lot of the single motorcycles have a lot of vibration in them. And I know uh, a lot of this was my riding style at the time, where I was you know had a death grip on the thing. It, it, to be honest with you guys, I have not ridden a, 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 motorcy- a dirt bike properly uh, until just a, maybe a year or two ago. I, I, yes, I went out and rode, but it was, uh, I was just hanging on to the thing. I wasn't riding the thing. I wasn't, it wasn't a tool that I was using. It was simply just a tool that I was trying to survive on and, and not die. That I was actually quite scared of. Finally, I put in enough hours, got enough, you know, 700 hours or so I got, I got enough time in it or where I can honestly say that I ride the thing now. I make it do what it does. Um, it, 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 it acts according to my will rather than the other way around. And, I, and I'm master of it finally for the first time. But before that, I had a death grip on the thing. You know, my arms you hold just holding on all the time. Well, I've since learned that you should be light on the handlebars, that you're not steering with it with the handlebars. You steer with your with your body. You move, you pinch and you grasp the bike and the handlebars just running the clutch and the brakes and the throttle. And so, but before I had a death grip on it. So uh, what would happen is after long rides, my hands would go numb and they'd be numb for three or four days because of that vibration, because I was holding on so tight. So I started looking at ways to isolate. How can I cut the vibration on this? Because this is causing me problems. And I don't know if I'll be able to do this for much longer, if this is going to be the way that it is. So Lance... Had the same issue, and necessity is the mother of invention. He developed an isolating handlebar or a clamp system uh, that has rubber between you and the and the metal clamp, and it takes all that away. So that's how I got got to know him. But I ended up, he probably talked to me for an hour and a half, and towards the end of it, you know, he didn't know who I was, or you know, I wasn't calling for free stuff. I don't do that for guys, I just was a customer. And then he got around to ask me what I'm doing. And I said, well, I do YouTube. Well, he does YouTube as well. So we had a whole bunch to talk about. But he long story short, he just out of his own kindness set, made this for me and sent this to me. You know what this is? One of the worst things you, about working on a motorcycle is you don't have any place to put bolts and nuts and you put your stuff up on top of the seat and it rolls off on the ground and it's just always a problem. And so Lance invented this. And look how beautifully it's made. This is all laser-cut aluminum. He put my put my avatar on there. Look at that. Isn't that something? He makes these. Look at the welds. Can you weld aluminum like that? I can't. So what this is, is it's got a big... look. And look at the handle. I mean, look at the machining on that handle. That's all spun. That's not... That's not cheap. I mean, this, is, this could not be any better. Like you could not make this any better unless maybe it was titanium. And what would the point of that be? So what this is designed to do is uh, you sit this on, on your seat and now you have a tray for all of your tools and all of your fasteners. And not only that, but he's put these really powerful magnets on the bottom. And I didn't know what those were for when I first got it. I thought, why did he put those magnets on there? that doesn't make any sense and they I tried sticking it on something and it wouldn't stick on anything because the magnets are actually facing up towards the aluminum well now I know when you throw something up there it sticks so all your little nuts and bolts and clips and hardware and there's eight there's four of them on there pretty cool huh look at that that is a nice nice unit all the little ridges cut on there so if you have long tools T handles screwdrivers they have a little bit of place to run off and even attention to detail even hard rubber feet right there where so it won't scratch your bike where it comes in contact yeah this is a this is obviously a niche thing it's not for everyone but if you're just asking me any favorite tools that I really like or things that come to mind this right here this is this has been life changing for if you work on bikes and tools and stuff like that it's uh, super good so shout out to to Lance and XC gear for that. I love to see guys that have a, a need for something and then come up with a solution and do it as good as he's done it. He's a super, super cool guy. I just th- think the world of him and the time he gave me and just an awesome dude. We have a new member, Notle Nate. Welcome, shout out to you. Glad to have you here. Welcome to our Wednesday stream. And Clay Townsend's a new member as well. Shout out to you, Clay. And Clay writes, I would really like to ask, what is your opinion on Kentucky Man? Okay, so I, I'm, I'm going to always share my first impression. Like when I heard Kentucky Man, what was the first thing that I thought? Well, Colonel Sanders, of course. Colonel Sanders. KFC, killing folks continuous, as I like to call it, with bad food and bad diet. But it does taste good, doesn't it? What's in it? That's the question. Kentucky man. When I think of Kentucky, have I first off have I ever met a Kentucky man that I know of? I have not. I think of Kentucky colonels. I remember years ago, my friend Cutlery Lover, he became a Kentucky colonel. Do you know what a Kentucky colonel is? Well, it's not a real colonel. It's a ceremonial title uh, that uh, that they give out to people. I believe Colonel Sanders was not a real colonel either. He was a Kentucky colonel. But is there anything worse or more insufferable than a man that takes a rank and like puts it on stationery or puts it on his resume as a colonel when he's a Kentucky colonel? I don't know, man. I don't I don't know about that. Um, I would say that if I were to think about Kentucky man, I would I would I would look at it like this. Well, he's not as bad as, so we'll kind of start with that. Uh, Kentucky, man, man, I don't know. I'm going to have to get back on you on that. I just don't have an opinion. Now, as you know, I, have, I do not particularly care for the South. It's got nothing to do with Southern man. Southern man is a good dude. It's just that it's the God-forsaken climate. It's the high humidity. It's the, the bugs and the gators and the heat and the I, I just don't like it. I, I, in that, that environment it is horrible, horrible for a northwest man that's used to a nice, calm, cool mountain breeze, a lack of bugs in humidity and such. My granddad was no fan of, of southern man's uh, territory either. I'll never forget it. I was asking him, we were, I think we were on our way over to Elkhunt, and I was asking him. Now, he was a World War II veteran, and he saw a lot of dangerous things. He, he you know, he worked as a, as a medic with uh, the Army Air Corps. There wasn't an Air Force back then, it was the Air Corps. So the Air Force, this was the first time that a military really adopt, adopted or created a, a, a major Air Force and they didn't know what to do with it, so they just attached it to the Army. So there was the Army, then there was the Army Air Corps. So he was uh, stationed with the B-24 Liberators as a medic, and so his job, he drove an ambulance. So when these B-24s would come in after their bombing raids over Germany, um, I know Polesti and some of the uh, Dresden, you know, I mean, Dresden was B-17s, I think. But the men, there were 10 men per plane. There was the pilot and co-pilot, there was the radio guy, and then there was the uh, turret gunners and all that. So usually about 10 guys, sometimes 11 in those. Well, they had to fly, especially in the first part of the war, they had to fly over uh, German-occupied airspace with no fighter escort. And so they took a lot of damage. There, but Granddad said that there were times that they, would receive some of the worst raids they would they would lose like 25% of their planes and they would try to send out you know 50 60 70 planes that's with 10 men on each one so can you imagine sending out 70 planes and 25 30 40 percent of them don't come back that's a great loss what brave men so When these planes that did make it back would come in, oftentimes they were low on fuel. Uh, They had engines uh, that had been shot out. They had hydraulic problems or damage because of anti-aircraft or flak, as they called it. Guys inside were bleeding, injured. Guys inside were dead. All sorts of problems. Burns. Um, They also shot, I think they shot phosphor, white phosphorus into the planes. And, you know, that caused lots of problems. So... As they would come in and land, and some of them would crash when they landed because they couldn't get their landing gear down. It was all sorts of horrible things. So Granddad had a lot of, of stories about dealing with that. And he would run out uh, with his ambulance and, and do what he could uh, to get the guys out of the planes and, and such. So he had seen a lot and he'd even, um, he, he would volunteer uh, to work with the mechanics because he was always mechanical. And he had a lot of downtime when there weren't any missions. And so he would spend a lot of time um, working on the planes, changing engines. And he, he had that aptitude and just enjoyed the work, fixing bullet holes and such. There were also times where they had to go in some pretty dangerous areas. He told me uh, to fix uh, bombers or planes that had run out of fuel and had to land short. And rather than just scrapping them, they would send mechanics out to swap out an engine or do a repair, see if they could get it back up in the air, back to the base and, and put it back into the rotation. So just I'm just trying to paint the, a picture. My granddad had seen, uh, not necessarily combat, but he'd seen you know, a lot of dangerous and scary stuff. But when I asked him, and we were talking about the war, I said, what's the scariest place you've ever been? You know, what's, what's the worst situation you've ever been in? And I, I was completely shocked by his answer. He said, well, it was New Orleans. <laughs> it was New Orleans <laughs> I, I, on a Friday night. Uh, he goes, I don't know what it was about that place. I've been all over the world, uh, and I've never been more, more afraid or felt more in danger uh, than do it, than in New Orleans. And this was in the 60s. So I can only imagine what it's like now. So Southern Man, uh, man, you've got your work cut out for you. I don't know how you do it. It's getting getting gritty down there. Worst place my granddad ever had ever been I was right in the heart of Dixie there. <laughs> but shout out to Kentucky Man. Thank you, Clay. I don't know. I, I don't know Kentucky Man. I'll, I'll give it some thought and get back to you on that. But uh, Kentucky man is is not exactly in the front of the line of, of, of being a recipient for West Coast status. There's only two states that that uh, I've bequeathed this to, which of course, number one would be Vermont because of my man Sticks Hexenhammer. And uh, number two is North Carolina man because a multitude of the middlemen are from there and they make some pretty awesome stuff. And I think North Carolina man is a kindred spirit to Proho Northwest man, if I were to be honest. We seem to have a lot in common. We're far away, but brothers nonetheless. Mr. Nick Wolfer, and new member, two-month member, writes, thoughts on the KTM EXC F-350 or the 500 four-stroke for street legal? Okay, I've got a lot of opinions on these. Um, I'm not a fan of either one. I'm not a fan of either one. So here's a, there's a couple of problems. So let's talk about the 350. The KTM 350, that's Jack's bike. He's got a brand new one, and he likes it. He loves it, he, and that's just because he's afraid of mine. If he ever, like, would get on, on my bike, Candy, uh, and, and settle down and stop stressing about the crazy two-stroke power band, or whatever he calls it, he would find that it's the, the superior machine. The 350... Here's how I'll sum up the three hundred and fifty. When I had my bike torn apart not long ago, and it was going to be down for a couple of weeks, and I, I I love to ride. I try to ride almost every day. Um, I was moping because I, I was waiting for parts or something. Moping, and, and Mrs. W was she brought up I she had, came up with a suggestion. She said, "Why don't you take Jack's bike? You know, it's set up just like mine, similar auto clutch." Uh, Left-hand, rear brake, you know, double lever, you know, the whole deal. Like we set them up for mountain hard enduro riding, it's similar. We share a whole bunch of parts, but I would rather not ride that bike than ride it. That's what I told her, uh, just because I don't like. It's got some serious problems. One of the problems is is the, the engine torque is tremendous. Uh, and it wears you out. If you're up on the pegs and riding this athletically, that constant fighting against that engine breaking, embracing yourself, it absolutely demolishes you. And the second off, it's a very, that engine is very antiquated. If you look at a 350, it has a really tall engine. It sits up at a real steep angle. It's very high and it it feels heavy, really top heavy uh, because of that. It's not the super skookum uh, low profile, latest and greatest, like the four fifties are. Um, so that that is the that, those are the main concerns and problems with that. Outside of that, it's everything is good. It's fine. But Jack likes it. Uh, my friend, my buddy, neighbor Brian, he wrote it. He likes it. So I'm that's just my personal feel on it because I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled because I'm riding a TE three hundred and that's the gold standard. So. Know that, on the 500, I don't like that big 500, man. That thing is a, it's just so big, it just looms. Three days ago, four days ago, I brought my buddy David, he's got one. He's got the F, uh, 500 XC, it's a street legal version. And and we went around and didn't ride anything hard, but that thing is a big beast of a bike. It's just, I, I, I don't know, I, I rode it, I jumped on it, immediately hated it. Um, I don't know man I'm just I would rather have a 450 I think the 450 is better than both of those bikes the 450 is the popular bike the 450 is the one that gets all the updates when they get a new engine new frame geometry you know that's the one that gets all of the R&D and gets the latest greatest stuff the most modern most current stuff the best stuff and the and it trickles down to those other bikes the 350 is an old antiquated engine The 500 just looms and it's just too big and too heavy. And, um, you know, I I thought that bigger was better when it comes to that. Of course, when we were building snow bikes, I was thinking, well, it takes a lot of power uh, in the snow. It's like riding in the sand. You know, there's so much effort that the engine has to push to either drive that machine through the powder and that snow and the mountains and elevation. I thought the 500 was the bike. Well, what we find out, so did a lot of other dudes. But what we all found out was that is not the bike. It doesn't produce very good power. It doesn't produce the power like the 450 does. It's slow revving. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just not a fun, exciting bike. It's just big. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just not a fan. I do not like them. I, I keep wanting to like it. I keep thinking that that would be the ultimate four-stroke dual sport, but it's just not. Not for my area, not for this. I'm just, I just not a fan of them. The 450s are faster revving, more modern. I would look look at a 450, street legal a 450. You'd be better off than either one of those bikes. But they're both cool. These are just my opinions, man, and just my opinions, that's all. Oh, good grief. Are we broken down again? You know what I did? I hit that microphone. Why do I do that? All right, let me see here. Try this. Okay, are we back? Can you give me sevens if we're back? Testing, testing. Give me sevens if we're good. I just reset everything. You know what I did is I smacked that microphone. Still buzzing? I've got all greens. Yeah, okay, looks like sevens are coming in. We looking good, Overton. I'll wait to hear from Overton here. Didn't work, huh? I'm showing sevens in the chat and nose. How can you get nose and sevens buzzing? Let me try one more thing. just did a hard reset on the mic. It should be booting up here. I've got greens. So let me know here for, if we're, for if we're good. I'm just going to wait on Overton here. If he tells me it's good now, then we're good. Five by five, okay, we're good, Oh, good. I don't know what happened to our super chats. Looks like they all got deleted. Okay, well, I'll grab one here. We have a super chat from Dave Knott. Shout out to you, Dave, and what's Dave writing? Dave, Dave's got a Tradcon question questionnaire. How could we lovingly encourage tradcon, the Tradcon mindset, not oppose... Two, but the world distracts women. Lack of logical destroys my soul. How did Mrs. W overcome? So, what David's asking? Let me try to summarize it. Sorry, it just keeps moving and jumping around on me. How could we lovely, lovingly encourage TradCon mindset, um, not opposed to, but the world distracts women? That's going to be a tough one, man. You know, I mean, we're, we're talking about old wine, old wineskins. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. Man, I, I am sorry, beloved. The reason why we just had the microphone problem is I have my, micro, my little receiver right here, and for some stupid reason, when I get talking, I, I whack it. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a terrible habit, and then everything goes haywire. This is completely my fault. I don't know why it would go haywire for touching it, but it seems to do it every single time, and I cannot seem to learn my lesson. Do not put new wine into old wineskins. So what is that telling us? Is it possible for a woman... Let's say that you have an adversarial relationship with a wife where that, that is a, a rabid feminist, or has feminine tendencies, or has went to college and just is a, a general ball breaker. How can you convince her to be um, tradcon? You know, I don't know that you can. I don't know that you can um, without divine intervention. I have seen women that were castrating ball breakers. Uh, that have reformed somewhat. And it was a transformation from the knowledge of the coming to, or with the repentance and coming to Christ, uh, a change of character. I've seen that take place before, in even in older women. So that is certainly a, a possibility. Um, the other possibility would be, you know, the other possibility would be I it is possible that a woman, if, if she realized that if she were to continue down the path, I don't even know if that's true. I'm just thinking that would it work? It let's say that you, it was a real problem. Let's say, for example, let's paint a scenario. Let's say pro ho has been married for 15, 20 years. He's in basically, um, an equal partnership um because of modern feminism sharing of duties sharing of household i you know both both people working um how you know how do you get yourself out of that situation i was thinking well i always think that reason works like i i I, maybe because i'm married to a very reasonable logical woman i like to think and it's been my experience with her if i were to come to her with something that was truly important not a frivolous thing or an idea let's do this all of a sudden but if i were to w- look her in the eyes and put my hands on her face and say baby we need to talk about something this is very important to me this is this is the most important thing that's ever come up in our relationship and explain to her what it was that, uh, that i wanted you know tackle whatever you want to choose sexless marriage um domineering uh, not not supporting you uh talking about your you behind your back to her friends, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Things, just characteristics that are not tradcon. Um, would she, could you get a woman to change that by, by pleading to her, telling her that this is the most important thing in your life, even going so far as to leave an ultimatum? I'm telling you, I want to be with you. I want to, I want us to grow old together, but the way things are, uh, the way that you treat me, this is not acceptable. This is not something I can live with. And I'll, I, I want you to know that if we cannot agree, ha- have a change around here, then I will be, in six months, I'll be filing for divorce. Like, would that work? Could you drop an ultimatum and get what you want? Get your wife to consider TradCon? Uh, I don't even think that would work. Because the problem with that is it's th- th- there's no change in the heart. And any change that that would take place would be done out of fear. And she may, out of fear of being alone, um, fear of divorce, she may be able to b- may make concessions. But then six months, a year later, you know, you'll be right back to where you're in. And, and no one wants to compel someone to do something that they don't want to do. So that I just talked myself out of that strategy. You know, that's not going to work um, at all and everything is against you because most of her friends are probably going to feel that way. Certainly the modern culture that we live in feels that way and is going to support her. And any ideas of tradcon that you may be putting out there or getting back to traditional values, you're going you're going to her friends are going to label you as as a as a tyrant or worse or a misogynist or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I just don't I don't know short of a short of a a a miracle a complete change in character through surrendering to christ i just don't know that how you could turn someone that's not tradcon into tradcon i was actually i've thought about this the last couple days uh because people ask how do you get a tradcon how do you how did you get one you know how how do you make that work you know how do you buck the trend and swim, swim upstream and have a traditional marriage with traditional roles Well, I have a woman that wants that and also a woman that allows that to happen. I'm not a tyrant around here. She has her own agency. You know, she she's not held here. She's here because she wants to be. If she wanted to leave, I'm just as vulnerable as anyone else. You know, I'm not I'm not running around here locking doors and putting on chastity belts. That's not happening. Everyone here is free to do what they want to. She's here. And I've told her you're you. You be here because you want to be here. If you don't want to be here, I'm not going to keep you. I'm not going to pressure you or guilt you. You know, you, you could go. That's, I mean, that's never been a conversation, but I made that clear up front. I, I never want to have to do anything to force you to be a certain way. I want you to do what you do because you want to. She's found her own way into this. She's always been this way, and I think the reason for that is because she was taught how to be a mother and a wife by her mother. She was raised by good parents. I was raised by good parents. I had it model for me what a loving relationship was. My grandfather loved my grandmother. My dad loved my mother and vice versa. And they treated each other kind and with respect. It was modeled for me. I didn't know any other way. Of course you're respectful. Of course you treat your woman, you take care of your woman this way. So I saw that, I know no other way. I've been institutionalized as, it, as to what the right way to you know, it wasn't perfect. I'm not saying it was leave it to beaver perfect. But as a whole, it was good. And it, it was a good lesson for me. Um, Mrs. W had the same thing. She had a very good mother, taught her how to cook, taught her how to take care of a man, taught her how to take care of herself, taught her, they, they gave her a good education, um, a loving, supportive household. Both her and her brother both turned out to be some of the best people I've ever known. Why? Well, because they were they they were shown how to do it they were taught how to do it then they were it was modeled to them by their parents so you know look that's really where it comes from that's why we've been talking so much about it's important to know where this girl comes from any potential date or, or serious girlfriend or someone you might want to consider proposing to that's why those red flags, you know, she's going to... They're chameleons, these girls, especially when they get desperate. When they get up into the 27, 28, 29, they go into overdrive. They go into baby mode. They start panicking. They realize, wow, my clock is ticking. I need to settle down. I want kids. There's no its no more playtime. I've been chasing Chad, Chad for 10 years, and now 15 years, now that's over, and I'm going to find someone, and that's usually you that's you and when guys meet one of these women they think they've hit the gold mine because she is the higher quality or prettier or better body or smarter than what they're typically used to dating and they haven't typically had access to a woman of this high value in their mind what they don't realize is that this woman has an agenda she needs a baby she's running out of time she tried to lock down chad and and Chad wouldn't commit, so you are the, the backup plan, and the guy thinks that he's winning, and then 10 years in, after a divorce, and she takes him for half of what he's worth, and now he's labeled, saddled with child support and all of that, he's not winning anymore, now he's losing, so be careful, and the point being is that These women can portray themselves, especially when they're in that that baby mode, Uh, they can be anything you want them to be and they're very good at it and they'll fool a lot of dudes. But one thing that they can't fake is their relationship and their past with their father and with their parents. That's why you need to ask about these things. If she doesn't have a relationship with her dad or never knew her dad, that's immediately a red flag. That's oftentimes daddy issues. And regardless of how well polished and well put together she looks, there's a lot of deep-seated issues, or can be, uh, that that will manifest later, and, and you'll be the worse for it. So, I, I wish I could give you an answer, a turnkey solution for turning your 304 into a tradcon, but it's not something that can, it doesn't work that way. She had to have been taught when she was younger. She had to been it had to have been modeled to her when she was younger. Um, apart from that, or a divine intervention, um, or You know, the third, there might be one that just does it out of desperation. Like, okay, I I, I can't take care of myself. I'm I'm in debt. Um, I need a man to take care of me. And she may just submit just because she just doesn't want to fight anymore, doesn't want to do it. I guess that's possible as well. But are are you getting anything with spirit? Or are you just getting something that's just given up and hoping that you'll save her? You know, and that would get old after a while. I I know it's cute and sexy when you're dating to be the knight in shiny armor to swoop in here to save the day with your cape on to save this damsel in distress. But these damsels in distress will turn into a snake in your bosom. We have a super chat from MB shout out to you. Welcome. And Jason Barr, Jason has been with us for two years now. Thank you, Jason. Mr. Barr, I sent you a message privately. Uh, on Signal. Mrs. W and I will get with you next week when we get back from the debate talking about what you wanted to talk about. Uh, We'd be happy to do that. Uh, He says, a good saying from my farmer friend, to give up is to take God out of the equation. It has been an encouragement thought to me, encouraging thought to me lately. Yeah, that reminds me of a story. I have a friend that was um, that traveled, I think he worked over in mostly over in Africa uh, doing uh, orphanages, were the stories that he was actually there during the Rwanda genocide. Saving children uh, in their little compound that they have uh, against armed men outside. Horrific. Horrific. He came in and spoke at our church years ago after that and told his story of what happened. About my age or so, a white guy. Um, and what they had to do to save these children uh, from this genocide and and the miracles that took place in this uh, of providing um, every day and how they lived uh, by faith. He said "We had there was no possible way that we could protect these children. There was no possible way that we could. uh, We didn't even know where the food was going to come from or how we were going to give them water. It was a desperate situation, and the outcome was bleak. And every single day, they never knew, uh, but be a knock on the door. Food would show up, something, everything, always they were provided for, they wanted for nothing. And just as protected with God's hand of protection over these people and these children through that horrible genocide, they went through and, and never lost anyone. You know, that was a miracle that took place over a long period of time. And he was there and witnessed it and shared it with me. And I don't know why. I don't know why sometimes God does that and sometimes He doesn't do that. Why does He intervene here and He doesn't intervene there? We'll never know. God works in mysterious ways. But to point out what Jason's talking about is that ultimately is where faith comes from. You will be tested. I will be tested. And when we'll be tested is oftentimes when we don't expect it. What God wants to know and why He does that where is your faith? Is your faith in your bank account? Is your faith in your emergency fund, your savings, your preps, or is it in me? And if need be, there's no reason why you can't have those things. You can't rely upon the strength of your mind and your ability to gather and, and, and resources and, and figure things out, put yourself in smart situations geographically. There's nothing wrong with being proud of that. But if that is your God, and that's where your faith is, God will strip that from you and put you in a situation where you will be forced to depend upon him. And that will be a trying time and that will be one of the darkest times of your life and one of the greatest, if not the greatest challenge to your faith. What he wants to know, he's not concerned with your comfort, so to speak. He wants to know, will you trust me when you have to? I want to see who's going to stick. I I cannot overemphasize beloved, and I'm tired of, I'm sorry to keep belaboring this point and reiterating this story, but I have to because there's new people here. The story of Gideon, Gideon, right? I'll paint the picture for you. This is from the Old Testament. The children of Israel needed to, they were, they were two, two armies camped together. One army crossed the river much bigger than the children of Israel and the men were afraid and a call to arms was made and everyone filed out of the city and a big group of men came and they all assembled and Gideon was their general Gideon was their leader it's looking bad they're greatly outnumbered and usually in those days it came down to uh, came down to numbers who was victorious and who, who was defeated God came to Gideon on the eve of the victory or eve of the battle and asked him to do something very silly Gideon, I want you to take these men, I want you to gather them together and I want you to have them go down to the river and I want you to drink. I want them to drink water and I want you to watch them. I want you to watch the ones that go down on their hands and knees and lap like an animal. And then I want you to watch the ones that drink with the hand. Now, what sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense. I used to read that all the time and I thought, what's this? This is, this is of no value. Now it's so valuable because it speaks to what we're going to have to endure. It speaks to how God works and how he chooses soldiers for the work. And the work is the spreading of the gospel in these end times. That's what we're here to do. The reason why he did that was, could God have supernaturally delivered the children of Israel in this battle? Of course, we have many examples of him doing that. Look how he destroyed the Egyptians in the Red Sea, crossing of the Red Sea. But he didn't. Why did he do that? Well, he wanted to know who the soldiers were. Gideon didn't know. You can look at one man, do you know if he'll break? You never know. Ask the guys that are instructors for the Navy SEALs that go instruct for the BUDS training. Ask them as they look up, uh, out across the, this group of men, the 60, 70 men that have applied and about to go through this difficult program, if you were to look at them, can you pick the ones that are going to quit versus the ones that are going to stick it out and ultimately receive um, the Trident? And they'll tell you they, they, they can't. You look at a guy that's a collegiate athlete, Division One A, and six foot tall and muscles and super athlete, you think, yeah, he's going to make it. Rarely is that he the guy that makes it. It's usually some small guy, some guy that, that's been picked on, that never had any advantage, that just has grit and toughness, that just won't break no matter what. This is all he's got. And it's this or nothing. It's ride or die. That's the guy that makes it through there. But how do you know that guy? How do you choose him out of a group, out of a crowd, if he's never had the opportunity to prove himself? You, you really can't. Nor could Gideon. What Gideon had was he had an army, a ragtag army, that was made up of multiple types of guys. There were guys that were compelled to be there, that were farmers, had no interest in the military, didn't want to fight, were afraid to go up against a superior army, and there were also mixed in with there a group of men, a small group that were were very battle bat, battle hardened, that were uh, true warriors, natural fighters, natural soldiers. Well, God figured out a way to, to separate those two to make it clear to Gideon who it was that he could count on when things got tough, when real courage needed to be demonstrated, how would Gideon determine which men? Well, God knew exactly how to do it. He sent them down to the river, and the ones that lapped like an animal, that got down on their hands and knees and drank like an animal, God told him, any man that does that, you separate him and you tell him that he doesn't have to fight, that he can go back. But the ones that drink with the mouth, those those are the ones that I want you to take with you. The reason being is the men that drank with the mouth realized that they were in danger. They had incredible situational awareness. They knew that there was an enemy across the stream. They knew that there might be spies or uh, saboteurs or archers in the bushes um, that could defeat them because the most vulnerable place for man and humans is a water source. That's something that we have to go to. There are limited places where you can get it, and enemies or predators know this and they'll lay in wait because ultimately or eventually you're going to have to come there and that's a guarantee and that's where they'll attack you. These men realized that. Therefore, they didn't put their head down. They looked around. They looked around. They were vigilant. They had good situational awareness. They brought them water to their mouth. Those were the soldiers. The other men, they didn't even think about that. They went down there and like a foolish beast, just dunked their head in the water, completely oblivious to what's going on, showing that they had no clue on how to deal with danger. And they certainly had no clue of situational awareness. Gideon divided the men, sent the ones home, or left them behind to guard the baggage, and he ended up with only 300 men. You know, that was a test to see who was going to be there. Because when they went up there, when he took 300 against multiple thousands, those men, if any one of them would have r- broken and ran, it could have destroyed the whole effort and it could have affected the other men and everything could have been lost. So he needed stout-hearted men. That's what God is preparing right now. We're in basic training. We're in the BUDS training course for the gospel right now. God will put pressure upon you. He'll touch upon things in your life that you felt to be secure, that you could always count on, and those things will vanish like mist. And you will be forced in various different ways to see no light at the end of the tunnel. And the only thing that you have to cling to is, is the, your faith in God, that He knows your predicament and He'll see you through, even though things look very, very dark. This is how He tests man's souls and their hearts. So the more that we can get closer to that, work on that faith muscle by trusting God in small things today, He, he can build on that. He can work on that. Because we don't want to be the soldiers for Christ that are left behind to guard the baggage, we want to be the ones on the front, standing shoulder to shoulder, um, marching into victory. So, And of course, this is not a physical battle. I don't advocate violence here. This is a spiritual battle that we, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the adversary. Against the adversary of our Father, which makes it our enemy as well. We have a, thank you, Jason. We have a super chat from Daniel Summy. Shout out to you, Daniel. Thank you. And for PC, goodness. We'll get a sound drop for, oh, sound drops aren't working now. Well, just as well. Some of us would be happy with that. PC writes, what can I do for a friend who's done more for me than I can do for them? It's a nice problem to have. He just spent a weekend helping me fix my cat and I can't offer something comparable. You don't have to brother you don't have to he helped you fix your cat because he values your friendship all you've got to do you know here's how here's how i determine who my friends who you you can do it it's a simple test to determine who in your life is truly your friend like truly will go to will go to war with you go to battle help you bury the body so to speak Um, two o'clock in the morning you get picked up because some blue pill pig hid drugs in your car and and you're in jail and you're in trouble out of town and your car is impounded. How many people could you call at that moment where things look bad, uh, to drop whatever they're doing, call in sick at work, change, find babysitters, whatever to come to your aid. Even if they had to drive 10 hours, uh, and get you help you get you out of your bind um and then never hold it over your head never make you feel like uh that you owed them something you know if if you think in in that situation that narrows down certainly cut cuts out acquaintances it narrows down your your true friend group to probably what you can keep on one hand maybe there's just one maybe there's none Uh, this sounds like that type of guy. He's not doing it. He's, there's not, it's unlikely a man that is like that is, is not expecting a, a quid pro quo. He's not expecting, uh, he's not keeping score, or keeping track. He's doing it because he, he values your, his, your friendship, because he loves you. And with that, you know, a man willing to do that. Put himself out there like that also i think it's also needs to be understood that you don't necessarily need to to reciprocate that per se like job for job you just need to be that guy that if and when he's in need that you'll be there uh, no, no doubt and, and don't worry about it good friends just like good marriages they don't keep track they don't they don't keep score of who's done what for who if you get a man or a woman that's keeping score and starts becoming resentful or backing off or pulling away because they feel that you're not giving them what you're back what they're putting into you then they're mercenary they're not doing it because they love you they're doing it because they expect something back and that's fine there's people in your life there's relationships where that's appropriate you can't have an intimate friendship with everyone and that that's only stands to reason it's not there's nothing wrong with those people you just know your people the best way you could treat that and to, and to pay that back is just to honor and respect that friendship and just appreciate it for what it is. It's a unique and special thing that someone would be willing to do that. I have uh, a good friend of mine, I've, I've kind of lost contact with him. Uh, he reached out to me over my birthday and I, I've got to get back with him, but he was that type of guy, who did that with me. Not only did he come up and help me with my cat, just to give you an idea of what a good dude this is, his name is Tony, um, I had, I had a limited time to work on it. Him and I went up there and spent the whole day on it, working on hydraulic lines when I was trying to get that con- tra- transmission going on that TD-7. Not only did he come up there and help me on his day off, but we weren't able to finish the job. He went up there on his own and spent another day when I had to come back to town and work and worked on it by himself um, for, for no other reason than just he valued our friendship. So don't sweat it. You, you need not do it. What happens in, in real friendships and real relationships and real marriages is that instead of keeping track, instead of pure reciprocity, what you get is, is you get one one trying to outgive the other. You'll see this with your good friends. You'll know because if you go to a restaurant, uh, he's always the guy that, that um, sneaks out early, says, hey, I have to go to the restroom, excuses himself, and goes up and pays the bill. And you were thinking that you were going to pay the bill, but he already beat you to it. You know. And so the next time when you're with that friend, uh, you call ahead and you prepay. You know that, That's the type of relationship that Tony and I had that was almost a fight every time the bill came or whenever we were always very eager to, to help one another. Uh, to outdo it. No one was ever keeping track. So don't worry about it. Just count yourself very fortunate that you have a friend like that in this world. There's a lot of pro-ho here. That probably don't Uh, and that's a that's one of the most precious things as precious as as a marriage to have a friendship like that so just enjoy it and um it's never unwanted um to give a gift you know, get something nice you don't you don't have to spend a lot of money but think about something that you really enjoy uh, in your life um a tool uh maybe a pocket knife i mean how cool would it be how would you feel if you went and helped a buddy and he gave you a bench made or something cool or a snap on ratcheting screwdriver, you know, or something like that, you know, where you have to spend 60, 70 bucks, you know, a hundred bucks. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what I would do and just be a good friend there and just be attentive to his needs. And then when that opportunity comes up for you to help, then you're there and uh, you have, you have a friend, friend forever. Okay. Sorry. So Overton. So, I bring my own misery upon my head uh, by hitting the microphone. Overton was telling me super chats disappear because he's got to put the, he puts up a stop sign, a bright red stop sign. So I'm oblivious to what's going on in the chat because I get to ranting. He puts a stop sign up and tells me uh, something's wrong. Shout out to Overton, man. I don't think we'd be able to do this without him. Thank you, brother. And thank you for that super chat. We have a super chat from Evan Roach, our friend. Good to see Evan back. Welcome, brother. Evan writes, "I found that you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. Change needs to come from the Lord to a willing heart." Yeah, and Evan Roach is just building right on top of what we already said, and he's absolutely right. You cannot lead a horse. To, you can lead a horse to water, but once it's there, you can't make him drink. You can't force your three hundred four to be a TradCon. If she never know, never was shown as a young girl how to be one, apart from a change of heart, which can only come from the Almighty, and that happens too. So, I mean, just dovetailing, going back as we're talking, you know, just what we said earlier about faith, trusting God when things look dark. Don't lose hope. If she's willing to hear the message, if she's receiving or is willing to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, then absolutely that could change. She could be a different person. I've seen it happen. But we, we do ourselves an injustice uh, as men when we don't follow through on things, when our word is not our bond. The bad thing about it is that it's if a man, let's say a man comes to the realization of, um, that he wants to follow Christ, that that, that he realizes his situation and and that he doesn't want to pay the penalty for his own sins. He wants to be saved. And he brings that to his wife. You know, she'll be watching, but she may not, she, she may not share your enthusiasm because how many times in the past have we said we were going to do something and we didn't follow through. And this is just another one of those broken or potential or future broken promises or things that I got, you got into that you'll, lose interest with and why should she invest in it it can take a long time but if you don't have christ in your relationship if that was it wasn't built upon that rock but you've come to it midstream there's still there's still hope but be careful in not being too overbearing what you need to do and the best what will give you the best results is, is she needs to see the change in you if you are hard drinking gossiping irresponsible selfish husband and all of a sudden you're attentive and and calm and you've got mastery through through god over your temper uh, and all the and you shed your vices and all that she's going to watch this and if you can just keep it at that and not be preachy and not be judgmental and and not be holding that over anyone's head It's very likely that she will conform and that she will want to know about this. To see such a tremendous change of character is going to intrigue her. And she will be, we all know our own deficits. You know, we lie to ourselves all the time. But really, if we look in the mirror and ask the hard questions, we know that we're not doing as well as we could. And she she knows that as well. And to see that transformation in a husband, if it sticks and if you're faithful to it and God makes that change in your heart, that's a powerful powerful, it's a powerful, powerful witness, and, and it's, it is way more likely, in my opinion, um, that she might adopt this Christian character and, and be able to make the changes that, that you so desire. But you'll have to make them as well. We have a super chat from Fordor. Good to see you back, Fordor. I think we missed you yesterday. Ford says, "How does the DRZ 400 stack up in Proho? Ho? Minus a kickstart, plus electric, 28 liter tank. Extra, it's 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 excellent. The, it's an excellent bike. Now, I'm all about the two-stroke 300 because of my geography. I I go right to the dirt right from here. So that that's it's a ta- It's a it's a suitable piece of equipment for this environment." It would not be suitable for most people. The DRZ400 would be way better. The DRZ400 is um, in the trifecta of lightweight adventure bikes. It sits, in my opinion, right in the middle. The Honda XR650L is going to be the most dirt-oriented, although street-legal. The KLR, Kawasaki, the 650, is going to be the most street-oriented, but still... Capable as an adventure somewhat light-duty off-road bikes, maybe roads or gravel roads max Where the DRZ kind of sits right in the middle um, It's it's got all those things. It's got a five-speed gearbox, Which is a little bit of a bummer, but not off-road. That's just fine It's just a little bit harder on, on road, but I would have to say of those three bikes for Average pro ho, I'm not talking about me or my area. I would choose the Honda for the reasons I laid out but for most dudes bang for the buck if you want like a big big boy bike that you can ride across the country on that you can hang panniers on that you can put huge gas tanks on the amount of accessories for that thing is just almost limitless its track record its reliability is legendary it's um i mean it's a no-brainer it's one of those three bikes um and i'd have to say all things being considered considering west coast east coast south coast guy all everyone you would not be, go wrong with a DRZ four hundred. It's excellent, yeah, excellent. There's bazillions of them around here. They're very popular for the reasons that I've laid out. Good choice, good choice. He's got a Kickstarter and electric, which is always nice. Will be running long after my April SV Aprila SXV. Yeah, it will. Aprils are cool too, but you've got a thoroughbred there. But yeah, good choice, good choice, Fordor. I, I. I approve. The DRZ 400 is, is an approved um, motorcycle for Proho for sure. We have sinkable Might 111 writes, my GF and I have been together for three years. And I plan on proposing this year. She wants me to ask her dad for her hand and I was wondering if you could give some advice on how to. Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah you need to do that. I, I would agree. Now, we're moving forward in this I'm going to advise you on this under the assumption that you've already done your homework and done the background work on this woman, this girl. Um, Hopefully you've known her. Hopefully you know her family. I think it's a very good sign that she has asked you to do this. She obviously has been, it has been modeled to her how to properly do it and how it, what a traditional proposal looks like. Um, It's 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 a hard thing to do. I I did it. You know, I I know I know what it's like. Um, Not knowing your relationship with your future father-in-law, it doesn't matter what you do or say, uh, as long as you do it. Um, He knows. He probably knows it's coming. There's probably no surprise. It's just a formality that needs to be done, Uh, and he will. You know, he'll have a lot a lot more respect for you. Um, Your future mother-in-law. It's just starting things off on the right foot. It's just, it's a tip of the hat, a nod to all of the good work and the hard work that this man and and his wife, your GF's mother, has put in to this girl to raise a girl. It takes a lot of effort from a couple uh, to raise good children. It doesn't happen on its own. And you, by you doing this, uh, you should acknowledge that um, of how difficult Acknowledge the fact to him how difficult it is to find quality women, especially Western women in this country. Acknowledge the fact that him and his wife did a wonderful job in that producing a young lady that you love more than anything. Um, now would be a good time, you know, in sickness and health, you make the oath to your wife, make the oath to your father in, uh, future father-in-law as well that you won't bring dishonor to his, long as she holds up her end of the bargain. That you won't bring dishonor to her, you won't cheat on her, you will take care of her. That he can relax, knowing that he can pass on that mantle of protection as her father onto a man that is going to take it as seriously, maybe even more seriously. I don't know how you could, having a daughter myself, but you would take, you'll take on that responsibility, um, and you'll do it well. That's all you. That's really all you have to do, and uh, bring a bottle if you're the drinking sort, you know, bring a, bring a beer over and sit with him on the porch and have a drink together and seal the whole deal. And, um, it, it it doesn't matter so much what you say. These are just some ideas. It just matters that you do it. Um, that's all a shout out to you for doing that, man. It's, it's scary. It's a scary thing to do. It's a hard thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. And when you're walking out of there, you'll be very proud of yourself that you did that. Shout out to Sinkable Might. Man, would, I, I, I would very much, very much like it. And I think Mini Proho here as well, uh, if you would come back and give us an update on how that went. What you said and just a brief synopsis. And I think that's encouraging. But make sure you do your homework. I'll... I'll how do I pronounce this? Alandro? Alondro. We have a super chat. We'll stop with that. Hey, I love your shorts about homesteading. However, something I think you miss is networking infrastructure. I probably do. Think you'd ever delve into it? Man, I must be. It's easy to miss when you don't know what it is. What networking infrastructure? Yeah, I'm not very good at networking. But you know, to be honest, I don't want to be. Mrs. W says something that comes up often and it's something to the effect of just because you can do something good doesn't mean necessarily mean that you should, you know, you can all, we can always do better, right? We could always spend our off time rather than watching Wrangler star videos or watching YouTube content or tinkering with our toys. We could be learning a foreign language, right? Of course, it would be better to learn multiple foreign languages than watch TikTok videos, right? But <laughs> just because you can do something doesn't mean doesn't mean you want to. Um, I've always worked by myself. I like my own company. Uh, I prefer to be alone. Uh, I like to work alone, um, and I don't like to have. At this point in my life, I don't like to have obligations. I have moved from a type of work or vocation or life where I was never able to, to do what I wanted to do. I had to. I had to do other people's bidding with work jobs obligations commitments whatever even with work and construction there was no creativity into it you had to show up at the same time Uh, there's no reinventing framing there's no reinvent it's already been all figured out you just basically do what you're told and you follow the rules and you do your work that's what what work mostly is it's not particularly creative you're not coloring outside of the of the line so to speak So coming from that very regimented type of work and and life and existence to what I do now, which is completely, there aren't any rules. Not really. I can do, say, whatever I want. I can go in, any, you know, I I can make anything I want. I can create things that would inspire people. I can make a video that doesn't exist or has never existed before. There aren't any rules at all. So that's an interesting framework to operate in now. There aren't any times set when I get up, when I go to bed, if I don't want to work, I don't have to work. You know, have complete autonomy and liberty to do whatever I want to. So I'm, I'm tasting that and experiencing that now for the first time. And it's a difficult thing to really enjoy, to have that much freedom, because you've been institutionalized from the time you were in kindergarten, show up. Stand in line, ring the bell, Think, stop thinking, put down your pencil, stand over here, sit here, go to the toilet when I tell you, have a lunch when, when I tell you, show up or you'll be fired. No, you can't have the weekends off. We need you over here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very few choices that you can make on your own, and usually you're doing the bidding of someone else. That institu- institutionalization, I'll call it, is hard to undo. I literally cannot not get up at the same time. I've always got up at five o'clock in the morning because I would feel guilty otherwise. <laughs> you know, it's just it's because it's been it's just just in the bone. So I'm just now learning to to operate in this new freer space. And just because I can do something, which would be increasing, if you if I know what you're talking about, for increasing networking, reaching out, working with more more people. Um, getting a bigger audience and such, yes, that would be all a good thing. That would be things that I could do, and there are people that I could help, and people that could help me. But then now, I, I, I start tying myself down. Now I start. Now I've got schedules. Now I've got conference calls. I've got Zoom meetings. I've got all these things that I've, I've fought tooth and nail to extricate myself from. I, I, I willfully put back on the yoke of affliction, and I'm just not willing. I, I just I'm, I don't want to do that there's no amount of money or fame or clout or subscribers that is more important to me than, than my uh, my ability to have freedom of, of choice and to be as free as a man can be in this environment you know that really is is the goal so i you're not wrong i agree with you but i that's kind of where i'm at it's a difficult you guys oh look just You know, i'm whining about my little commitments just the live stream is, is a That's a lot of commitment for me (laughs) that I I put upon myself that I don't have to do. You know, that falls in the middle of the day. You know, I have to schedule now all my days and everything around that. That that is the foundational thing. It's important to be here. I made that decision. We made that decision together to do this. You guys show up. I show up. I'm, I'm not complaining about it, and I will do it. I'm happy to do it. I feel very honored to be able to do it. But I want to keep that type of thing at a minimum. We have a super chat from Mr. Justin Schweitzer shout out to you Justin welcome Justin says have you used vertex rifle bags if so thoughts The only well I use their backpack. Here we go. We're, we're showing and telling today uh, I have as you know a 10.3 mark 18 Barrel right mark 18 rifle And uh, This is this is the one that I use I don't have any use for a, ri- a rifle bag. If we're talking about like a long gun rifle bag, like you would take to a rifle range, I don't have any use for that. I'm not going to go to a rifle range. If I do go shoot, it's going to be up the hill and I'm just going to throw it on the front seat. I just, I don't have a need of that. Plus it's not discreet. I mean, it's, it, it shouts long gun if you were to pack that thing around. So it's just not a viable option in this current environment. What I do carry is carry is what the vertex is. This is my gamut. This is the old one. Uh, there's a newer one, that's a little bit better than this one, but it's essentially the same thing. And the gamut is designed uh, to, to fit those SBRs. So if you have a, a folding, a law folding stock like mine on a Mark 18, um, you can collapse it and this fits in the main compartment right here. Uh, and this is really good, this is a good backpack. I also have a armor plate for it. So it's essentially an armor plate carrier on the back anyway. Um, and th- when I go into the city, this is what I take. So I'll have G19 on me, usually an appendix if I go in there. Uh, but I'll also, also have this. And this is, this is how I carry it right there. But I don't have, I'm not exactly sure of which bags you're referring to, uh, but that's the one that I like. The gamut's a really good one. It's a good size. Really good size. Yeah, thank you. Good question. Mr. Joe. Joe says he's not religious. That's all right. Neither am I. We don't need to be, we don't need to be religious. (laughs) There's a lot of religious people that don't know God. Um, Or, let me rephrase that. We don't need religion. We need to be religious. Let me, let me rephrase that. So Joe's not religious. He says, I like to hear you speak about God. It helps me live with intention and be a better man. It's exciting. Feels like I'm growing. Yeah, it feels like you're growing, Joe, because it's it, it's truth. You don't get a lot of truth today, uh, especially if we watch TV or, or media. Right. So you're, it's it's the reason why you like it. It's not me or my I, I don't have any special gift of orate or orata, oration, my orator oration. Uh, it's truth. It's just simply the unvarnished, unfiltered truth of God. And it resonates with your spirit. That's, that's why it's appealing to you. You know, there's nothing wrong with not being religious. I think it's, I actually have more respect for a man like you, who is hearing something that he doesn't necessarily believe with, but he's willing to hear it out. He's willing to hear it out and consider it and make up his own mind. That man, to me, is closer to God than, than many so-called prof- Christians that have been church pew sitting uh, with their heart not in it for decades. You're closer to God and you're gonna be more useful. Those people are old wineskins. God's not gonna put new wine into them. There's new wine being made right now by our Father. He's looking for flexible wineskins to put it in. That's what we need to be. Even if we're 50, 60, we don't wanna be hard and dogmatic. We need to shed all of the nonsense in the past that we were indoctrinated with. We need to embrace the new truth that's coming from Jesus Christ through the revelation of the scriptures that are gonna be taking place in these final days do i know what it's going to be i don't know but we also need to be not not be so prideful that if we become aware of something that is completely contrary to what granddad and grandma and parents taught us that we practice our entire lives that if and when that revelation comes that we need to be able to consider it and if need be do a 180 and embrace it even at losing friends losing churches losing even even at losing your wife you're your family. You may be asked to do that, to, do, to follow God's will uh, with people that are not willing to accept it. Because what God may know is that you'll never be able to do it because these people will drag you down. You won't have a support structure. God is not, God is not interested in our, our comfort because what he knows about our comfort is our comfort makes us into losers. We'll never take chances if we're comfortable. Who was it? There was a boxer that said it's difficult when you're training to become the heavyweight champion of the world. When you're coming up, when you're hungry, it's, it's it's you're out 3 o'clock in the morning, you're doing road work, you're training all the time, you're hungry, there's nothing you won't do. There's no pain you won't endure, there's no hardship. You know, pictures of Rocky, remember, and Clubber Lang and all of that, you know, drinking the eggs, and you know, you, you get the image. But once you make it, once you are crowned and you're wearing the belt heavyweight champion of the of the work of the world and then all of the trappings of wealth and fame come with that and you wake up after that in a million dollar multi-million dollar home with silk sheets and such it's hard to get up out of those warm silk sheets and, and hit the road and do the road work at 3 a.m. like you used to when you're on top you know and god knows this that's why he's going to be stripping a lot of us he's going to be removing a lot of things. A lot of us are going to have a Job-like experience because he wants to know, just like Gideon did, who the soldiers are going to be. So we need to be practicing that faith now so when the true test comes that we won't, found, won't, we won't be the ones found wanting. But I admire that, Joe, and I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to have open-minded, thinking proho that are hearing and considering and making up their own mind and not just going through the motions Of what they were taught when they were in sunday school and there's a lot of that in the chat a lot of that mr joshua a shout out to you good to see you here joshua joshua writes california man ask have you ever worked with prison fire camp crews before i have many many times unfortunately my brother said fire camp training training camp is rough thoughts yeah i've worked with those guys so it's very common uh there's let see, how far do we go? Back up here. Uh, One of the resources on wildland fires is is a 20 man crew, 20 person crew. It's called a hand crew. There are type ones and there are type twos. Now, everything with the government, with the Forest Service, let's say, there's a lot of tradition. Things have been done the same way for a long, long time. They change it not. Uh, They don't adopt new technologies very quickly. They're very much like Glock on that. Is it still, are you still able to go to the Glock website and buy an incandescent old school weapons light that they developed, what, 40, 30, 40 years ago? I think they're still selling them. They were not long ago. They changed slow, like the Forest Service. So, one of the resources, and a resource would be anything that the fire boss or commander can use as a tool to plug in to to solve this problem, to put this fire out, uh, are the hand crews. They are made up of 20 people uh, with various combination of tools according to geography but you'll have uh, usually two or three people with chainsaws you'll have people with Pulaskis, you'll have people with axes you'll have people with grubbing hose mcleods um, rhinos what have you according to whatever the, the terrain is and how it works is these crews their main mission is to build fire line what is a fire line well if the fire is burning here And the wind is blowing it this way we'll go up ahead of it and we'll build fire lines if we can get a fire line all the way around it if it's a creeping fire as soon as it runs out of fuel as soon as it hits this fire line which is basically just a little ditch down to mineral soil that it stops it can't go any further that's how you secure a fire and the primary tool for this is the hand crews now these hand crews come in two different flavors number two and number one your number two crews There is uh, made up of less, lesser capable people. Now this could be, or less trained, less motivated. There's a lot that goes into it. This could be privates. Most of your private contractors are gonna have type two crews. This is gonna be a lot of the American Indian, Native American. They're very active uh, in this because they're tied in so much with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the government. The government is very active of, of getting them work and funneling a lot of the federal type of work to these folks. And so they will often be there. And they're actually some pretty good crews. I've worked with lots of those guys. And then you also have um, your prison crews. And they're oftentimes type two as well. And they'll come in. There, there'll be um, Some prisons will ask guys, hey, do you want to get out? Maybe they're not violent offenders um, if you'd like to. You'll go fight fire, um, and then they get to get outside and be part of that. They're all all under guard and all of that, but I've worked with those guys as well, and those guys are pretty cool as well. And they're oftentimes very happy to be there, and they're just really nice dudes. I've never had a bad experience with a prison crew. I've even been on fires that um, the state fires, DNR fires, that the all of the the food how, uh, that fed the entire camp was all made up by a kitchen that was entirely uh the prison crew terrible food by the way not necessarily because the prison guys couldn't make it well it's just because the ingredients were very poor so yeah so it was all good uh i've never had any issue with them um the worst ones i've worked with have been the contract crews uh most a lot of guys there just strictly there for money um, some of the best ones I've worked with have been the prison crews and the Indian crews. Really good. And there's a fourth one I've come. I've even seen National Guards, D- Guard guys that have been put together uh, to form a crew uh, or to backfill. And they, they're pretty good dudes as well. Um, now your type 1 crews, those are the big boys. Those are going to be mostly your, your hot shots. Those would be full-time federal employees or seasonal employees of the U.S. Forest Service young college people, guys with a lot of experience, good soldiers, good teams, and they can usually do almost double the work of a Type two crew. There's a common, I mean, everything has been figured out. This has been done so long. It's commonly known. A fire boss, and I've had this training, I can do this to a certain extent as well. I can look at a piece of terrain, the topography on a map, and know the vegetation and the aspect and the weather. I can look at that, plug that into a calculation, And I know pretty much within really close of how much fire line a type 2 crew can cut in a day over given terrain. And that way you can estimate it. So when you're looking at the fire and you're looking at how much it's going to spread and you look at your resources, okay, I need to get 16 miles of fire line in. A type 1 crew can do 8 miles a day. Therefore, if I want to get this fire line in, I'm going to have to have two Type 2 crews to do 16 miles of fire line. These are just made-up numbers. But your Type 1 crews, they do significantly more. Highly motivated, younger, super fit, uh, super dedicated. These are going to be your hot shots, your, your Tier 1 crews. Also, some of the contractors are also Tier 1 if they've got some good dudes. There, there are few. I haven't seen a lot of them, but there are a few. These guys might be able to do... 12 miles so you know if you have access to multiple or single type one crews a hot shot crew to tier one crew you know they're going to be able to do more work so i don't know if that answers your question that's just kind of a general overview of what we're talking about right here he says my brother said fire camp training camp is rough thoughts yeah i don't know i don't know where he's at is he in a prison is he in a prison crew or is he on a hot shot crew It is rough. Yeah, you need to be fit. You're going to be working, you know, up to 21 days in a row with no days off. Guaranteed when you go on a big fire, you're going to be there. If if you stay through the duration, you're going to be there for 14 days with maybe a week off and then you go right back. But I've been extended up to 21. So 21 days of working some of the most difficult work in the world in the most difficult situations under tremendous heat with leather boots on, leather gloves, wool socks, you know, all of that. It's, it's exhausting, difficult work. So you need to be fit. You need to train because everyone relies upon you. That's what I've seen multiple times with contract crews is they don't put in the work before time and then they're not prepared. I have seen so many crews uh, have fights on the fire ground, where guys, usually younger guys, these were millennials back in the day, after four or five days of this struggle of what it's really like to work on a hand crew, type two crew on a fire, just give up and quit. Like, I want to go home. Well, you can't go home. You signed the contract. You, 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 know, We're counting on you. We need you. The whole team needs you. We can't field a short-staffed hand crew. And they said, no, I don't want to I don't want to do it. And then they'll have to send someone with a truck and go take them home and all of that. And just quit uh, because they weren't prepared for it mentally. So it's good that it's it's rough because it's rough work. It's dangerous work. We have a super chat from Back Creek Homestead. Shout out to you, Joshua. I hope I hope, hope he does well. Back Creek Homestead. Do you see biblical a biblical marriage as a covenant or a contract? It's a covenant. Yeah, it's a covenant. It's the reason why. In my opinion, I have to be careful. I have to say these are always in my opinion. I don't know everything. Uh, one thing that the comparison, why I would say that, the comparison that God makes to the relationship between man man and woman, between His children and Him, the comparison that He makes, the closest thing that we have to compare that to is a, is a marriage between a husband and a wife. He even refers to Jesus as the bride, um, or, or to Christ, the, the church as the bride, the Christ's bride, the church meaning us, the saved children, as the bride of Christ, that, that so intimate is this relationship to be, that it would be as intimate as a man and a woman coming together in, 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 in a relationship or a union, a holy union even goes so far as to say that that relationship between a man and a woman in marriage is considered when a man and a woman come together in the eyes of God and under this covenant, that, that they become one flesh. Now, there's a lot of interesting arguments that can come out of that. What does that mean? You know, are, is one covered by the other? If my wife is a, is a saved believing Christian, does that mean that I'm covered because God sees us as one flesh? you know we don't we just don't really know but there's a, the point is is that that is a very very important it's a symbia it's a symbiotic relationship that should not be torn apart to tear apart a marriage in god's eyes of a man and woman that's come together in this covenant where god sees them as one flesh is akin to an amputation the cutting off or tearing off of a leg that's that's why of the Christian creeds uh, and the teaching of, of God's word wh- why why there's so such a emphasis put on staying together and not getting a divorce because God understands that this is the tearing apart of two people in there are repercussions that echo into time and eternity of a of a man and woman a relationship that's been torn together that we can't completely understand we think of it simply as a contract and once it's inconvenient for either party, they can simply just leave it and there really isn't any consequences outside of maybe some division of assets. But God sees it very differently. That's why the Christian faith believes it's it's such a it's something to be avoided at all cost and should should not happen unless absolutely necessary. Because there is something deeper going on, a connection. That's why it's so important these low body counts, you know, to, to be able to pair bond with the if you're pursuing women i go on and on and on about how dangerous it is to get involved with a woman that has a high body count the connections that she's made with these various partners have serious repercussions that in ways that we can't understand that will affect her and your ability to pair bond with her the closer you can get to the source i.e a virgin bride if possible the better chance you have of bonding with this woman and having a lifetime mate so yeah you know, the 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 fact that God compares the relationship between Christ and the church of that with a man and a woman in marriage speaks to the importance that God puts upon this covenant, in my opinion. Good question, though. Very good, good question. Back Creek Homestead is always bringing the heat. Thank you, brother. Okay, so Overton has sent me... Um, a PSA he said there's something that I need to read uh, read to to the to the proho here uh, I don't know what it is but I'm just gonna read it we'll see it's not long uh, due to the recent and numerous new anti-gun anti-second amendment laws passed and are pending across our country oh this is from our friends at LaRue tactical LaRue tactical has been forced to reconsider how we provide products to state and local agencies oh, I like where this is going this is going in a direction of a company that's putting its money where its mouth is. If this is in true, if this is true, I'm going to do everything in my power to promote the good people over at Larue Tactical. Effectively today, in no effort to see that, in 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 an effort to see that no legal mistakes are made by Larue Tactical and or its employees, we will apply all current state and local laws as applied to civilians, to state and local enforcement government agencies. In other words, LaRue Tactical will limit all sales to what law-abiding citizens residing in their district can purchase or possess. Am I reading that right? I'm sorry. it's hard for me to concentrate on what I'm reading here because I, I it's difficult for me to process this and try to talk about this at the same time here. I'm not clear. It, this could be bad or good. Effectively today, in an effort to see that no legal mistakes are made by LaRue Tech or its employees, we will apply all current state and local laws as applied to civilians to state and local law enforcement governments. Okay, I see. So... No special favors to government. So how I read that, correct me if I'm wrong. Overton, give me a thumbs up if I got this right. But how how I'm reading that is this. If you, government, are going to apply rules, let's say, for example, uh, in Oregon or Washington, uh, we just, they just passed, the governor just signed a bill, no more semi-automatics, pistols or rifles. What I understand this to be is LaRue is going to say that if an Oregon police force, uh, whatever agency wants to buy their product, they will not sell them any product that is illegal in that state. Other words, forcing the government to abide by the very rules that it has forced upon the population correct yes thank you i'm sorry i'm not a smart person goodness that's asking you a lot give me a ream of text to read on the end of a live stream that is that's one of the most impressive public statements from a large company that i've ever heard you want to talk about putting your money where your mouth is larue tactical just showed everyone how to do it and Think of the money that they're they, they stand to lose because of that man that's some balls right there that is some balls that is straight up courage right there and you're right yep you're absolutely right thank you for bringing that to my attention that is absolutely something that we should read from this day forward i will bequeath her what is it bequeath no i'm not bequeathing I'm gonna give a, a pro ho edict here that Larue Tactical is a good company, <laughs> and uh, I just bought their triggers, so I'm, I'm glad to see that. So yeah, that's gonna be on my short list. Um, I've heard I've been hearing some disturbing things about companies of late uh, that I didn't know about. Uh, one being Geisley, uh, Overton. Tell me, maybe you can give me a thumbs up if this is true or not. Is it true that Geisley forced all of its employees to get a uh, the jab or force or or face firing is that true i would like to know uh maybe you can um, put in the comments or bring it to my attention on the next stream any companies that did that um we're going to need to take a look at that i don't know that i could support that i've been hearing rumblings about some bad things that grand force brooks has uh, done as well so i don't know i don't follow up on that very much but yeah great man goodness that that is a that is a tremendously brave thing to do and it's just the opposite of what most companies do most companies a lot of companies like colt remember when you couldn't buy a colt because they had those huge basically no bid contract they were producing they had the trademark on the ar and they were producing everything during the early days in the war on terror war on terror uh they didn't sell to the they chose they didn't sell uh to private people and uh larue's just doing the opposite yeah awesome all right well let's shut it down i gotta go get the sweet loaf thank you beloved thank you joshua i sure appreciate that thank you and uh, shout out to La- larue tactical goodness i am uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that very happy to see that shout out to to barry walker as well thank you barry for that 500 dollars super chat man that was above and beyond we sure do appreciate that that is a uh, Certainly going to be going to good use. You probably just paid for a dump load of of gravel on the homestead. And uh, it will not be, uh, it's certainly not unnoticed. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, everyone. Overton, the middlemen, Mr. Jason Barr, anyone else that I forget. Don't mean to forget anyone. I sure do appreciate it. Appreciate your time being here. And uh, I look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow. May God bless you and your families. Please keep us in your prayers. Please keep the middlemen and those of us that are participating in the in the 24-hour fasting, the Wednesday fast, that we have strength and encouragement to uh, to get through this. It's, it's a difficult thing. And uh, I appreciate you guys suffering, to, all suffering together. Misery loves company. But it's not that miserable, is it? All right. May God bless you and your families. We'll see you guys on tomorrow's stream.